0: Hello and welcome back to Believe in Chelsea. I'm your host Rob Prattley, and today, once again, we're dealing with another double header. We're looking at the game against Manchester United at the weekend, a dull draw for most of it that suddenly livened up in the last 10 minutes and then also looking at Chelsea's convincing, I would argue, victory over Salzburg in Austria, which ensured they topped their Champions League group. As always, I have to bring a guest on with me. Now, this person is probably best known for being one of the few footballer lookalikes who actually does look something like the player in question. I always best know him for the fact he mistook me for being CFC Daly the first time we met. I'm sure he knows I've never forgiven him, and I'm sure if Daly ever hears this, he'll never forgive him. Um, But it's the (laughs) absolutely wonderful, imitable Cami. Cami, how are you this evening?
1: I'm very well, Rob, thank you. Thanks a lot for having us on the podcast. It's absolute,
0: absolute pleasure, and yeah, I mean, I know there's a lot of people who are very excited, most notably David, who I know wants to just see you fail miserably tonight, so it's great for yep, to right. have that support, isn't it?
1: <laughs> oh yeah, wouldn't expect anything less from him. Mar-
0: marvellous. <laughs> well, we'll get back into it, and we'll get straight into cracking, we'll look at the game against United. So, firstly, I, I don't know if you made it down to this game, because obviously there was a lot of disruption around this and a lot of, you know, nonsense. Um, did you end up making it uh, to the game, or...?
1: Just about, yeah. Um took me a very, very long route to get there. Um, but I managed to get there in one piece. Um, ended up yeah, having to travel via about four stations and then get the bus back home overnight. So Just what you love. From... Journeys. Oh, yeah. yeah. British Just public transport. Just because the last minute winner. That British was, uh...
0: public transport. Absolute winner. But obviously, in the game, I think it's fair to say a bit of a poor start from Chelsea. Um, it was the complete wrong tactics from minute one.
1: Yeah, I completely agree, Rob. Um, I just think the first half hour was just extremely dull, to be honest. Um, I feel like the team selection maybe wasn't the best. I think he's still kind of experimenting with some of his players and the systems and things like that. And yeah, we just kind of really didn't get it ticking, to be honest. I think we kind of struggled to get the ball into Man United South and really I kind of attacked him. Um I felt like particularly as Billy Quetta, um, you know just looked a little bit off the pace to be honest. I'm one of Aspie's most avid defenders nowadays. Mm. But I just think, you know, in terms of actually getting up the pitch, kind of playing out from the back, um there just was kind of a bit of a link missing between um the midfield and the attack. And I just felt like that kind of cost us. We weren't really able to create anything. And yeah, we just struggled quite a lot ultimately.
0: Yeah, no, I definitely agree. And I think you know it did it did show that. I think you, you were right in saying the first sort of thing was dull because even though Manchester United dominated possession they didn't really do much with it. Obviously, Rashford had one early chance as well, saved by Kepper. and I think, you know, Anthony put an effort wide. But we saw the sort of fairly early substitution. Mark Kukurea hooked, again, no particular reflection, I think, on his performance, just a case that, you know, they needed to change formation and Mateo Kovacic came on and Chelsea moved to sort of a 4-3-3. And that really, before half-time, sort of led to Chelsea taking control of the last 10 minutes and actually... I personally think we probably should have taken advantage because we created a couple of very good chances and should have scored.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think it was unfortunate for Kukarela, to be honest. Um, I think it's been a bit of a mixed start for him. I think it was showing glimpses that there's a player in there. Something just looked a bit off the pace. I think North against Villa, he wasn't great. Um, and I think he was quite unlucky to be the one to be sacrificed against Man United last week so early on in the game. But ultimately, I think it was a good substitution because I think when, like you say, uh, Rob, when Kovacic came on, uh, we looked so much more positive going forward and I think we are we were making more chances. Um, and I still think, it kind of goes back to that original point I made, I still do think, uh, still in the very early stages of Potter's time in charge at Chelsea, he's not really had a pre-season, he's still getting to know a lot of the players. Um, the players currently at the club, you know, we've got Conte players, though we've got Lampard players, we've got Tuchel players, Sari players. There's just yeah, there's not really been any time for a manager to come in and make this squad his own, and he's almost kind of always feeding off scraps from previous managers. And I think that's the situation from Potter um, that he's currently in because he's still trying to find you know what players he likes, what system he wants to use, and yeah, it's just the best kind of way we're going to see this team move forward. And I think that all will eventually come. I think Potter has shown he's a fantastic manager. I have full faith in the man. But I still think there's going to be a few uh, bumps along the early, door, the early days in, in his time at Chelsea. But ultimately, I think the best part is we're still unbeaten. And what is it, nine games now, I think?
0: Yeah, not eight or nine, I think,
1: yeah. Yeah, something like that. And a couple of performances have looked better than others. But I think ultimately, most of the signs, in my opinion, have been positive.
0: Mm, Yeah, no, definitely. And obviously in the second half, as you kind of probably expected with Chelsea being the home side, they took control. They had more possession. Chalaber, obviously, with the effort that hit the uh, sort of bar. Raheem Sterling had an effort where he should have, you know, shot and inexplicably tried to pass it. And then obviously we get to the late award of the penalty. Now, obviously, from where you are in the stadium, I appreciate it's hard to see. Did you think in real time, did you see the penalty?
1: It's, it's a tough one Rob um, because I wasn't too sure and even still watching the incident back now I'm not 100% sure to be honest I think it's one of those ones that if you get it you're going to 100% claim it and be adamant a penalty but if that's against you you're maybe feeling a bit frustrated it's, it's certainly very clumsy clumsy for McTominay and obviously as someone who's Scottish I know all about McTominay's clumsiness when it matters most um, so yeah I can completely understand why a Man United fan, for example, would be frustrated about that incident, but I do think it's very clumsy. He's got his hands around his man, um, and I think I'm the done extremely well. They have to kind of win the penalty, maybe throwing himself around the a bit easily. But sometimes that's what you do in football to win these big moments, and ultimately it worked in the end. They won as a penalty, so mm. yeah, I think it's 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 not a completely unjustified decision in my opinion.
0: Yeah, no, I I tend to agree, and I think it's they said it. Someone summed it up really well, and they said if the referee on the field gives the decision, the VAR can't overturn it because it's not a clear and obvious error, but it's not something that VAR would look at and would say, actually, yeah. that needs to be given as a penalty. And it does happen at, you know, a lot of corners. I mean, I remember, I remember the old days we used to have Terry and Carvalho sort of in there and at every single corner, there was, you know, at least one sort of wrestling match, one way yeah. or another. Um, it used to just sort of be the dark arts of defending, but nowadays you've got to be a bit more, cute but obviously Jorginho steps up and puts it away I don't think there was any really any doubt and at that point it probably felt like we would see the game through you know United weren't really creating a lot they brought off key attacking players I think you know McTominay sort of ended up as the de facto sort of centre forward so the real question is why couldn't we see it through
1: it's a tough one and I think it's a question we've been asking ourselves for a very long time now. Like there's just been so many instances in these kind of games. Um, particularly at Stamford Bridge, it feels like, to be honest, um, where we just can't seem to ever kill off these games. Um obviously, you know, the lateness of the goal on Saturday that we scored, it's not like we were going to go up the park and score another one. It was just gonna be a very kind of deep, um, all hands on deck, kind of last few minutes to the game. But I just think ultimately you know, the balls came in the box, I think are marking quite poor. Um, I don't think Ben Shelwell should be marking as someone that's kind of physically dominant in those kind of situations as Casemiro. Um, mm. I think I'd rather see a Thiago Silva, Chalo, a type player maybe on him at that point. Um, I, I think that was maybe quite poor from us. And I just feel like it, these kind of situations, it's hard to even put it down to what, it, what the actual problem is, I think. It's almost like nerves get the better of us. We just looked very shaky at points in the, that injury time. And it's it's just one of these things. Like it's a very bad habit we've got into, but it's almost like as soon as we get into those kind of later stages of the game, everyone kind of starts panicking almost. Mm. Um and it's extremely frustrating because the amount of points that has cost us in the past couple of seasons, like thinking back to Brighton last season, Spurs this season, 96 like 6 equalizer. Um, we got away with one against West Ham already this season as well when the goal was chopped off very late on as well. Um, it's a common theme, unfortunately, Rob, and I just feel like it's almost just made turn into a very, very panicky unit as soon as we hit injury time in a lot of these games. And I feel like a lot of that comes due to our inability to kill games off sooner. Um, and I feel like that United team, I, I believe that on paper, as much as they are playing some good stuff now, we are actually a better team than them. And we should have taken advantage of that. Like, I I went into that game on Saturday thinking we should be taking three points here. Won't be pretty, we won't, won't smash them, but I think we should be looking at a 1-0, 2-1 kind of one, you know? Um, And yeah, it's really disappointing to come away with a point there, to be honest.
0: I have to ask it. Again, you know what my thoughts on this are. Um, and I think, you know, you responding to my tweet in the question about it, but do you feel Kepa should have done better with the Casemiro goal or are we just able to accept and say it was just a really good header? And he was very unlucky in the fact that it came back off the inside of the post rather than maybe clipping it round and tipping it round the post.
1: So here's my, you know, my, my my views on Kepa, I think, would differ from quite a, what a lot of people, what other people think about Kepa at this point in time. I think for that particular goal, um, I think personally I have absolutely no blame to Kepa. It's, he's really stretching. Um, I don't think his position... Is terrible um, and I think he's extremely unlucky like it was just a centimeter away from being an excellent save you know but I just think ultimately we do have a goalkeeper problem and mm-hmm. people people will say to me at this point in time of oh, what Kepa is playing absolutely brilliant why shouldn't that continue I think to be honest Rob as much as I'm happy for Kepa I really like the guy He's been absolutely pivotal down the years in one of his cup, a couple of trophies, and uh, not least the Super Cup in Belfast, the Europa you know, League under you know, even just a couple of penalty shirts last season getting us to the League Cup final. Um, Kepa is a player I'm very fond of in a lot of ways, but I don't think he's ultimately good enough or consistent enough to be a long term number one goalkeeper at Chelsea. Mm. Um, and I think there's been plenty of evidence for that down the years, and that's. Maybe a bit of an unpopular opinion from my perspective, but I I don't think Kepa is, from from the evidence we've seen since he joined in 2018, which is this is into his fifth season now. And I think, I mean, I'm not much of a stats person, right? But you look at some of the stats from his time at Chelsea and he is statistically one of the kind of worst goalkeepers in Premier League history, you know. Um, There's so many goals we've conceded down the years that Kepa has been directly at fault for. I think back to like Lampard's season in charge. And obviously I don't blame Kepa for this, but I think we conceded over 80 goals in all competitions that season. And it's just not really good enough, to yeah. be honest. Um, but listen, he's playing excellent just now. And I'm delighted to see it because he seems like a top bloke. And there is definitely a, a good keeper in, in there when he's on his day. Um, and, you know, I really wish it can continue for as long as possible, but I do have my fears that there is a mistake coming and it's going to cost us majorly. That said, Edward Mendy has been in very poor form for quite a while now, and I think he was right to be dropped. So, my kind of, the general conclusive point in that sort of argument is that I don't mind Keppa playing just now. I'm very sceptical that something bad could happen when he's in goals, but I, I do think it's a position we need to address maybe next summer, to be honest, and look at options in the transfer market.
0: Mm-hmm. And of course, there's also, you yeah, know, we've got to remember there's people like Gagas Lonina who obviously the club do rate very highly. But oh, moving, on to, moving on to the midweek game and the game away at Salzburg, uh, I think this the biggest note for this one was uh, the eyebrows that were raised at the team selection because although it looked like a 3-4-3-3-5-2 three, 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 on paper, it turned out to be more like a 3-2-5 um, with how high sort of you know players were playing, especially Pulisic and Sterling in these de facto wing-back roles. They effectively did just play as extra wingers. Were you surprised, maybe, that Potter went so offensive?
1: Um, no, in some respects. I felt like it was a very positive team, but can I expect the other point I made about Still kind of at that experimental stage. I think, you know, we went into this game in a relatively good position in the group. I think we were talk at this point, um, mm. a point clear. And with a couple of pictures to play that, in many respects, favour us still. Um, so I, I do like the kind of positive approach to, to the game. The, the only thing I would say is Sterling and Pulisic, you know, two players that are maybe... Struggling for form just now, or well, Sterling maybe fits into that category. Pulis is maybe more struggling for game time rather than form, but I, I feel like you know, I still want to see those kind of players playing more advanced positions close to a striker, getting in the box, and you know, kind of being able to create and score goals. Um, I think that's the only thing that was maybe a bit limited about playing them so deep. Um, and I wouldn't say that either of them are renowned for their kind of you know, defensive abilities. But mm-hmm. it was ultimately very positive, and I think some of the football we played, particularly in that first half, uh, we could have been 3-4 up at time. There was that one particular move that came, um, and got a chance at the end of it, and that would have been one of our goals of the season, to be honest with that, yeah. going in. Um, yeah, agreed. Not the ball, but really nice. I think that is the kind of good thing that you'll have when you've got, like, six and Jorginho on the pitch together. Like, the ball always play some really like, nice, neat stuff in the middle of the park. And, yeah, I just think we played some really nice free phone stuff on, on was it Tuesday night, yeah, Tuesday. Um and yeah, I think the kind of optimistic lineup paid off in the end, in my opinion.
0: Mm. And obviously it started off with Kovacic scoring his annual worldly. Um the only poor goal, or I would say poor, the only goal like, I remember Kovacic scoring that hasn't been like insanely memorable was the one last year against Villa when I think it was Tyrone Ming slipped <laughs> and literally just basically invited him in one on one and he finished it well for a one-on-one, but he does have a habit of scoring sort of, you know, the spectacular. And one of the big frustrations to me, I think, with Kovacic is the fact he doesn't do it more often because the ability clearly is there.
1: Yeah, and I completely agree, Rob, and it's a frustration that I would actually say extends to the entire squad. I think that's something yeah, that we don't really do enough, take these kind of long shots. And I, I put a two up there tonight night saying we've kind of been treated to a few worldies this season. We've seen, obviously, Harbert got a great goal the night, which we'll also get to we have seen um, that goal from Kovacic, the goal from Conor Gallagher against Bristol Palace. um. There's been a couple more as well. I can't think of it off Street my head. Mount Street kick but against Villa. Mount Street kick against Villa. Yeah, that was one. Um, And it just goes to show you, like, these players can take shots. Why don't they do it more often? I just think, you know, the Chelsea teams down the years, the amount of, like, great goals we score from players coming in midfield last season, you know we're kind of over the line and Rudiger taking these kind of shots and it's not even the shot themselves it's if you've got a kind of you know instinctive players in the box kind of clinical finishers such as Aubameyang and Sterling you know you never know what kind of ricochet these shots mm-hmm. will take if it would bounce back off the keeper and create another chance um you know if, I'm not saying you know should, everyone should take long shots but I think it ultimately is a means we should approach. I think under Tuchel it got to the stage in games where we are just trying to walk it in and it was extremely boring. Just kind of side to side play to the wing backs, hopefully they'll create something put it across. And I just think a lot of teams found us out very quickly in games. And we kind of ran out of ideas a Um And I think, you know, the type of profile we have in games, I, I mentioned the kind of good things about College and Jorgin- Jorginho a minute ago. I think this is one of the more negative ones, like I mean, we've seen Jorginho take a shot in the second half on Tuesday night and it was almost comical he was laughing at himself, you know, just really shuckled along the ground and had to keep his hands. Um, and I think it is something we do majorly lack when those kind of players are on the pitch. But like you say, when Kovacic does take a pop, sometimes we see he's got it in his locker and it does add to that question, why doesn't he do it more often?
0: Mm. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think I think both we'd agree is the first half on against Salzburg was probably the best first half we've seen under Potter we looked really good Mm -hmm. but obviously unable again to kill the game off now partly that was due to some great goalkeeping but also there was a little bit of naivety I think at times with some of our finishing especially that Aubameyang chance I I do think you know, I expect Aubameyang to bury that
1: Yeah it was a poor poor, poor finish from Aubameyang Um, it was almost a bit complacent in my opinion it was almost like he got in that position and kind of just thought this is definitely a goal um, I think, to be honest, it's just something we've had no kind of shortage of in the last few years at Chelsea is strikers missing big chances. Um, and I think ultimately Aubameyang's start has been um quite positive, quite encouraging. A couple of goals against Milan, one against Palace. All really good goals, in my opinion. Um, I think, in my, in my opinion, I see Aubameyang as a bit of a stopgap. I don't really see him being here very long. I mean, obviously, what he's thirty three you know, Um I think he'll be here maybe for a year, maybe two, until we get the right man in in that kind of position. Hopefully, the transfer market yeah, provides some appealing options, and maybe next summer. Um, I I do think you know we have kind of continue to play football. We we, we did that all night. Those chances will make themselves, and I think nine times out of ten, you would expect the Birmingham to take that because he has a clinical finisher. Yeah. Um, and it's, I think he has just been unlucky in that situation, but he's not a player that I have major worries over and I think yeah it's just it's frustrating because we've seen it so often at Chelsea but I, I guess it kind of the good thing in, in my opinion is we still haven't seen much of Broja as well. Mm-hmm. And I think you know he'll hopefully get a run out next week against Zagreb and he'll show us what he can do. Because I think when he's came on the pitch this season he's not really had I don't think he's not started yet, hasn't he not? He started against Brentford um, last
0: week he started against Brentford, 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 Brentford yeah start. of
1: course uh, that's right actually I completely forgot about that. Um yeah I think from what he's shown, he's just such a physical player, rapid. Um, just gets himself so involved in games. He's, he's, kind of The way he presses the ball down and just puts teams under pressure is absolutely fantastic. And I think, if I've got, like him on the bench, he's, he definitely has merited a good chance to kind of get a couple of big games in his bag, in my opinion. Um, so I think definitely Potter will have one eye on him as well.
0: Yeah, agreed. So going into the second half, I think, you know, it... It started in many ways the worst possible way but also the most predictable way for Chelsea in conceding a really <laughs> poor goal on a counter attack yep. now ignoring the quality of the cross from Max Verber and I think also the finish because I think it was a good finish from Adamo I do think mm-hmm. maybe Kepper should have done better with it but it was such a fast counter attack I'm again kind of you know he isn't the obvious people I'm looking at to prevent it you've got to mm-hmm. say I know we're both big fans but Thiago Silva got this one wrong
1: yeah oh 100% um and I think that's just I watched the goal again tonight, just before we went on this call, Rob. And I do think that's kind of that goal was an example of the flip side of you know the kind of positive decision making by Potter when picking that team. I think we've seen you know um, Pulisic and Sterling and each kind of respective wing were caught quite high up the park. They weren't really bursting and I got to kind of get back when we were kind of um, caught in the counter attack. Tiago Silva steps out, um, which as we agree is was maybe the wrong decision in that particular instance. And suddenly we've got, what is it, three against two, and Chalabar and Cucurella were left at the back in a relatively vulnerable situation. And like you say, one moment of quality um with the kind of both behind the defence. And yeah, the strikers taking his chance. Um I think you know, if we had maybe a bit more of a better Defensive structure structure going in that second half. Um, that goal could have been preventable, but I do think that was part of the gamble when you play such kind of attacking players. Um, you know, I still think we're kind of lacking a natural defensive midfielder as well, who maybe could maybe in that sort of position. Tago Silva stepped out into as well, mm-hmm. um, and I just think that was that that goal largely came due, due to the fragility of the lineup we put out on, on Tuesday.
0: I definitely do agree. But to be fair to Chelsea, we did react very well. Obviously had a couple of chances. Um, again, Aubameyang block- had an effort blocked. Jorginho had that header cleared off the line. But again, we did score. And it was going to take something special to beat the goalkeeper again. And it was something special. I think Kai <laughs> Havertz scored his best goal for Chelsea. A little touch, just set himself and then just curled it into the top corner. A bit like the goal he scored against England a few weeks ago for Germany um, <laughs> in the recent Nations League game. So firstly, for you, what is Havertz's best role?
1: Oh, Rob, I still have absolutely no idea. And I'm not even going to pretend <laughs> that I have I, an opinion on that because it's something that frustrates me greatly. I have absolutely no idea what Kai Havertz's best role is. And I think it's, you know, I've seen him play in so many different positions in so many different positions in his time at Chelsea under three different managers now. And I feel like, in all of these positions, he's failed to set the world alight, unfortunately. And I think ultimately Kai Havertz is a player that, for the obvious reason, will always um, they loved at Chelsea for for what he'd done, obviously in Porto, and then even mm-hmm. got on to win the uh, Club World Cup as well uh, a few months later. But I think for the most part of Kai Havertz Chelsea career, it's been quite frustrating. And until and that's something that I'm maybe being more honest with myself about quite recently. Um, due to my kind of love for the man. But I just feel like we don't really know what this guy's best position is. He's, he misses so many good chances. I think quite often, you know, he's, he, sometimes you see tidy touches from him and you see glimpses of a great player. Other times I think his first touch is shocking and he ends up chasing his balls off the park and things like that. And mm-hmm. he, he is just such a, a funny player because... You just look at i mean, you, you, everyone can see this guy has a lot of potential. This guy should be one of the best players in the world, but he just can't consistently put a run of games together where he looks brilliant in a certain position. You maybe crop up with a big goal every, what say, seven, eight matches, and it kind of maybe papers over the cracks a bit, um, yeah. makes it look like he's doing better than he actually is. But I just think for large parts of games, he tends to be anonymous. However, I think on Tuesday, he did have one of his better games I've seen for a while. I feel like the last couple of games before that, he was absolutely shocking. Um, not least against Brentford last week. Um, I feel like he was just absolutely, he was one of the worst performers in the park that night. And yeah, he's a, he's a player that, in my opinion, I wouldn't really have in too many starting 11s before the World Cup, the, the way he's playing. I feel like he's, he's hes not doing enough to justify a starting position in many of these games, Rob.
0: Mm. No, I I don't I don't disagree too much to be honest. I think that's the frustrating thing about happens I know there's potential and the quality is there. It's just at times we just don't see it enough. But obviously in this case Chelsea did take, you know, a two one lead. They did have chances to, you know, extend it. Pulisic had that effort where he just completely (laughs) missed the ball after a very decent move. They all said, yeah, we had some sort of half chances, but really Salzburg did push on. Sheshko had the good effort that was saved by Kepper, and there were a few hairy moments in the box. One very good clearance from Thiago Silva. But Chelsea did manage to see it out this time round. So what was different, do you think, on Tuesday compared to on Saturday? Or was it literally just a case that Salzburg have lesser quality than Manchester United? And I think that's a fair comment to make.
1: That's probably what I'd go with, to be honest. I feel like there was maybe more Pressure on us on Saturday, um, as opposed to Tuesday, I feel like, you know, I, I still would have been confident that even if we did draw a, against away to Salzburg on Tuesday, we'd have still certainly qualified because I, I don't think we should have had. I think if we need to go into this game against Zagreb next week, needing to get three points, I'd be quite confident we were to get them. Um, so I do think the pressure was off slightly in that respect. Um, I think you know the quality Man United have, like. You know, I think just United in general, just down the years. Obviously, thinking back to Sir Alex Ferguson time, like they're just renowned for scoring these kind of like goals, putting the pressure on, and they do have a lot of big names in on the park who could crop up at those kind of moments and get those goals. You know, I think the fact you know when you've got a five times Champions League winner cropping up at the back post like that, then it just tells you you need to know the difference mm-hmm. in quality, in my opinion. Um, obviously, it's not your most natural kind of. Finisher Casemiro, but it was a great header nevertheless. And I just feel like it's hard to pinpoint exactly what it was, but I feel like the lack of pressure on Tuesday compared to the pressure on Saturday at home, um, at Stamford Bridge, and obviously that end in front of the away fans definitely didn't help.
0: Mm, yeah, no, definitely, definitely do agree. But obviously now we're through into the next round of the hat. Yeah, uh, I'd like to also congratulate some of the other teams that are now guaranteed to go through. Again, I don't like admitting it, but Liverpool do have a real European pedigree. They obviously qualified. Real Madrid defending champions. Paris Saint-Germain, Benfica, I believe they're battling it out for top spot in their group. Bayern Munich have qualified. Um, Lukaku and Inter Milan. There's just, you know, I'm sure there's a big name missing, but I can't think who they are. (laughs) I'm I'm sure it'll come to me eventually. But yeah, oh, of course, FC Barcelona, um, obviously oh, yes. they dropped into the Europa League. So the big question really is, do you think Marcus Alonso's 100% Europa League record is going to continue? Or do you think Barcelona <laughs> are going to take that away from him as well?
1: To be honest, I think it'd be almost embarrassing if they didn't win it. But you look at some of the teams that are in the Europa League now, there's a lot of big names in there. You know, Man United, Arsenal, uh, Ajax, Juventus, Atletico Madrid... There's, there's no shortage of big clubs in Europa League, so they're definitely going to have their work out for them, to be honest. Um, the funny thing was that I should probably mention at this point, um, not not that I take much pride in doing this, I actually put, well, I didn't put them on. I, and when I was asked at the start of the season, when I done predictions, I actually said I think Barca might win the Champions League. <laughs> so I've definitely got that one wrong. And I'm, don't get me wrong, I'm absolutely delighted that I did. Um, I absolutely love seeing them. Um, suffer the way they are just now, but uh, I felt like, you know, the signing of Levin Doskin, and things like that, and some of summer business um, would, would have made them right back in the mix for, you know, pushing on to the latter stage of the competition, but yeah, it's, it's brilliant to see, to be honest and um, just shows my um, I think the term is ball knowledge is perhaps lacking <laughs> Yeah, I,
0: mean, I, <laughs> I feel like hashtag, hashtag cancel Cami is, you know, definitely going to be it's, the it's aim is to get it trending by the end of today. <laughs> yeah but you know, yeah. I, think, I think we're getting close. Uh, out of the teams that we know are through, I think also oh, you know one of RB Leipzig chapped, uh Chapter Donetsk. I mean, I think if they do get through, it's guaranteed to be RB Leipzig. I will just say that as a fact. I think it's almost guaranteed to be mm-hmm. them, but who would you like to face in the last 16?
1: You know, just surely, uh, I mean, unlike a lot of people, I kind of think about these sort of European ties from a kind of <laughs> going to the city perspective. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I would love to do a Dortmund away. Um, obviously Chelsea never played them in a competitive game. Um, I think it's one that a lot of people want to kind of tick off the bucket list. Um, obviously the atmosphere over there is meant to be incredible. Um, there's also a few other decent ties. I think there's a Marseille. Uh, there's Porto. Thinking in there as well. But I think the one that kind of stands out to me the most is like one of the Lisbon teams to go through. Whether that be Sporting or Benfica. Um, two teams that I think you know. On the pitch, Chelsea would have um, the beating of, in my opinion. should do over two legs. And also, I wouldn't mind a little trip to Lisbon as well. <laughs> Drink some nice um, Portuguese beer. And obviously a country that we have um, very fond Champions League memories in, uh, certainly very recently. Um, in the Champions League final, of course, last year. Mm,
0: yeah, no, of course. And I think that's, yeah, I'd be honest, I'd look at most of the names in there and, you know, if PSG did end up finishing second, I'd probably want to just avoid them on the basis that if Mbappe, Neymar, and Messi can stop squabbling for a game, they are actually quite good at this football thing. I'd like yeah, to avoid in, Inter Milan purely because I, you know, knowing I'll let Lukaku knock us out. Oh yeah, completely. Agree. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I think I think I'm quite happy. And to be honest, I'm quite confident we can take a lot of teams, especially in the European game. But it's now time to move on to the quiz. Now, as <laughs> per your request. I have a Frank Lampard-themed quiz tonight. Okay. I I don't know if you're aware of this, but for the viewers that are aware, again, one of the, Cammy's good friends, David, me and him have an agreement. That he that Cammy's going to do the quiz, and then if David can beat his score, I'm buying a £200 track suit for him. So I'm expecting big things from you here, Cammy. You know, if you bottle this for me, then... I'm going to be very... Oh
1: so, <laughs> Feeling the pressure out of it. Exactly. <laughs> the questions easy. No,
0: no pressure whatsoever, but minute and a half, there are five questions. There are correct... Each correct answer equates to points. The amount of time you have left over equates to points. Incorrect answers are no points, so you can't just pass your way all the way through to try and have the best possible time at the end. Okay. If you want to skip a question, just say pass, and we can come back to it at the end. Okay. All right. Are you ready?
1: Let's do it, Rob. Let's do it.
0: Rob, in three... Two one, what stadium did Frank Lampard get his first ever win as a manager?
1: Um, Carroll Road, Norwich.
0: It wasn't Carroll Road, it was the Majeski Stadium because his first Chelsea oh, was Derby. Yeah, oh. exactly. What was the first Incredible trophy stuff. that Frank Lampard won in his professional playing career?
1: It would be the 2005 League Cup.
0: No, it was the 1999 UEFA Intertoto Cup with West Ham. <laughs> oh
1: dear. <laughs>
0: oh dear, that's cancel cammy. Great start. Already. How many times in total was Frank Lampard named either FA Cup Best Player or League Cup Best Player?
1: <laughs> I don't have a clue. Um, so is it either or or combined? No, the combined number. Combined, I would have a punt and say four
0: oh that's close it's five <sighs> how many comb- combined goals and assists does Frank Lampard achieve in the Champions League Premier League FA Cup and League Cup so how many combined goal contributions
1: <laughs> in his entire career
0: yeah well his entire career at Chelsea
1: just at Chelsea um, okay I mean 211 goals I think he got about 120 odd assists um I would say three hundred and forty. a it
0: it's very very close it's 376 and then finally <sighs> how many questions how many games in front of a play in a row between the 13th of October 2001 and Boxing Day 2005 to then set to set a then Premier League record for most consecutive league games you have seven seconds
1: was it 87 no it was
0: 164
1: oh dear. So, no one no, no. yeah.
0: I'm afraid you've scored a grand total of zero and yep. with zero seconds left. So you've actually gone to the bottom of our leaderboard, which now oh, means all, I need, all David needs to do is get one right and I have to buy a £200 bloody track So um,
1: <laughs> To be honest, I'm not confident you'll get them right either. Those, I, those are some difficult questions. I I like I'd actually be very surprised if any.
0: I mean, I feel like you're probably quite annoyed at getting that, the stadium question wrong. Oh, have I lost you? I, I could tell you were annoyed at that first question.
1: Big time. I can. can I just. I don't know if the um, the pressure went to my head, but yeah, no, just, it's, it's just completely this. forgot about his 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 stint at Derby for that second. Oh, it? <laughs> it's the it's the it was the
0: final it was the final penalty in that shootout, and yeah, you just blazed it over the crossbar wide. But anyway. Majorly. It's been absolutely great fun to have you on. Again, I'm not looking forward now to probably paying to pay for a £200 tracksuit, but I think, you know, this is probably worth it. <laughs> you know, do you want to... I'm sure everyone that is listening probably does already follow you because, you know, you're one of the real influencers in the Gelsy oh. sphere. I well, um, wouldn't use that word. <laughs> but do you want to tell everyone who wants to come and find you where they can find you?
1: Yep, so my Twitter is cammy. Um, I Usually... Um, sitting whining on Twitter about all of the nonsense so feel free to follow me um, if you don't already.
0: Yeah, I mean, I definitely recommend following Cami just to see what kind of, you know, spats he gets into because sometimes they're very, very entertaining. Um, yeah, I can imagine. They're, they're, they're well worth following for that alone. But <laughs> it's uh, It's been great fun. I'll be back again next week when we'll be looking over Chelsea's final Champions League match, the home game against... Uh, Dinamo Zagreb, and also looking at Chelsea's weekend fixture with Graham Potter returning to his old club, Brighton. But before that, we're going to have an episode of the Chelsea Women's women's Believe where we discuss the comprehensive victory over Vlasnia and also the wet victory at the weekend over Brighton. But before that, I've been Rob Prattley, You've been wonderful. Thank you very much for listening. Keep the blue flag flying high. And this has been Believe in Chelsea.